Whoa, buddy, put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Well, good morning and welcome to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show. Broadcasting live across the state of Alaska on this your favorite radio station and or translator and around the world at MichaelDukeShow.com on the internet. Now, you may notice that I did not play the opening theme music to the show this morning. I'm trying to figure out exactly what rules I'm breaking here while broadcasting on Facebook. Apparently, they didn't like the music that I was using at the beginning of the show. So until I get that fixed... And we'll see if we'll see if Facebook hangs with us this morning or not. But uh, until I get that fixed, I guess I'll be avoiding that uh, song this morning. Well, so hey, it's it is what it is. It is what it is. Welcome to Wednesday. It's the hump day, the middle of the week, downhill slide. Looking all the way to Firearms Friday from here, where we're going to be tackling some of the uh, big issues that uh, will affect us on the firearms issues on Friday. Today, we've got uh, what I hope is a full show. I I'm, I'm, was waiting on confirmation. You know, I love it when I send somebody a text message and I say, do you want to be on tomorrow or the following day? And at this time, and they say, yes, that'll do or something like that. <laughs> I mean, they're busy. You know what I mean? But uh, I'm expecting that, uh, yep, Kevin McCabe just got the response. Kevin McCabe will be joining us here in hour one on the program this morning. And we will be talking about the uh, port authority that's been proposed by the governor. Uh, Kevin says that maybe he may have been the, uh, he may have been the kind of the genesis of that. And, uh, and uh, that we're going to get a little bit more information on it. Because like I said, I am, I am woefully ignorant um, I'm woefully ignorant on exactly what the history of the port is at the McKenzie, Point McKenzie and the Matsu and everything. Other than I know, <clears throat> um, other than I know that the, uh, uh, you know, that, that it's a, it's been kind of a boondoggle, you know what I mean? It's cost the borough a lot of money and, you know, it was part and parcel of that whole, uh, the ferry that they were going to have where they were going to have a transit ferry where you could catch the ferry and go back and forth to Anchorage in the morning, the ferry that never ran but still cost the borough $12 million. I mean, it was, you know, again, it's kind of like one of those things where if you looked up boondoggle in the dictionary, they'd have a picture of the Point McKenzie facility, you know, because uh, it was one of those things where it felt like build it and they will come kind of thing. And, of course, they never came. So it is what it is. But we're going to talk with Kevin about that. We're also – I think we should talk about Kabata, which is the – uh, the Knick Arm Bridge and Toll Authority, which, uh, you know, has been it was, you know, it was championed at first by Governor Bill Walker. Um, it made a lot of sense to me in the way, but then it got touted as this bridge to nowhere and uh, really didn't do anything. And there's lots of people in Anchorage who are against it because not because it would be a good idea, but because I think it may in the short term affect their property values. And so, I mean, we're going to have some discussions about that as well. It's all going to take place here in hour one in just a few minutes. 
when we get a chance to talk to Kevin McCabe from House District 8. Then in hour two, we're going to be diving into it uh, with our friend Mike Shower uh, for the Shower Hour of Power. That's right. We're going to talk with Mike uh, and get his hot take on the things that are going on in the legislature. And uh, I'm sure that we'll probably talk a little bit about his wish for a constitutional convention. That's all coming up uh, as well. And uh, we're going to be we're going to be doing all that kind of stuff. And um, that I think that's it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a full hour, full hour of goodness here. So we're going to jump in on that uh, later on in hour two. Meanwhile, uh, we want to say hi. How are you? Welcome you to the show. Thank you. Good morning. And uh, um, hi, you know, let's let's get into some of the let's get into some of the news and the headlines that are floating around out there this morning. Uh, still early days in the legislature, and that seems to mean that uh, there's really not a whole lot of anything going on. You know, you'd expect that every day. It seemed like near the near uh, the middle or end of the session and into the special sessions. There was multiple stories dropping each day about the shenanigans and things that were going on in the legislature, and uh, it, uh, it it really is kind of slow and quiet right now. I mean, there's just really nothing. Whole lot of news stories going on about the uh, <clears throat> about the Olympics, uh, following you know all the different things and Alaskans who are doing things. And while I congratulate them, I congratulate all Olympians because that's a it's a tremendous achievement. I mean, that is a lifetime achievement. And while I, I while I applaud them for their for their work and everything else, personally, the Olympics is just I mean, it's just left me cold the last, I don't know, about 10 years, 15 years, maybe. I remember as a kid, I remember how excited you remember the Sarajevo games. Um, that was I got super excited about that as a kid. I don't remember why. I know that. I had to laugh because I came across a box of stuff. We were moving some stuff this last year, and I had a handful of um, I had a handful of items from Sarajevo, um, uh, the 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 Winter Games. I had some coffee mugs and some other memorabilia and everything else, and um, it was, I mean, it was, it was cool, you know. Uh, and so I found that, and I remember I remember being excited about everything that was going on, but I can't remember being that excited about the Olympics since then. And that's been that's been a few years ago. It's been twenty five or thirty years. So I know a lot of people get excited about it. So that's what a lot of the stories are about. Uh, uh, you know, in the in the local politics. So of course, down in the South Central area, they got Fur Rondi going on, which it's been kind of postponed the last two years. They really haven't done a full Fur Rondi, so that's that's going to be exciting for folks. As far as in the political realm, you know, we talked about the uh, David Eastman thing here. Um, we talked about the David Eastman thing here uh, earlier in the week and how that is, uh, you know, it got put on hold. They were going to expel him and then they realized they didn't have enough. Uh, they didn't have enough votes to make that happen. Uh, and so instead of expelling him, which, again, I think this whole thing, ag- agree or disagree with David Eastman. Uh, membership in a private organization, especially when you became a life member a dozen years ago, when, as I said, I mean, I was I was reading stuff from Oath Keepers a dozen years ago, and they seemed pretty reasonable. They weren't some radical organization. And as Laddie Shaw was quoted as saying, even in their bylaws, they 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 abhor violence and they just want to uphold the Constitution. 
But, you know, first of all, they're going to try and cancel Eastman over this and expel him, which is really kind of an unheard of move, expelling him from the legislature. Well, they decided that they don't have the horsepower to do that because it requires a supermajority vote of the House to expel a member, 27, and they know they'd never get the, even though Eastman has ruffled the feathers of some of his own contingency in the minority, they're not going to get 27 members to vote him out. So the next attempt is to now remove him from uh, most of his committees because most of the committee positions only require a simple majority vote of 21 to get that done, except for the Ethics Committee, which requires another supermajority vote. And that's what actually caused them to stumble this week. Uh, They were going to go ahead and remove him from all his committees, and he made a procedural motion that said it was out of order because uh, of the ethics thing. And by law, you couldn't remove him without 27, so then they had to separate the question, and then it became – I mean, this whole thing is just – it's just pure political theater. Pure political theater. I mean, it was – so anyway, that's that really was one of the big things that happened out there um, as far as the legislature. Well, that and Ron Gillum, um, who suffered a heart attack. And I, I didn't even hear about this until yesterday, Monday. I don't know what happened that I just I didn't catch what was going on. But uh, he went to the um, he started having a, a discomfort on Wednesday night, last Wednesday, a week ago. He thought it was indigestion to begin with. And then he started just. Uh, apparently just sweating like a horse. And at that point, he knew something was going on, and his wife said, "Uh, buddy, you're going to the hospital. She's a smart woman. And uh, they took him to the emergency room, and apparently the doctor told him that he was – that it was great timing because he was within about 15 minutes of of not making it, passing on to the great beyond, which would just – I mean, it's just horrifying. So they medevaced him to Anchorage. They put a stint in. He was released on Saturday – and they were reporting, I think, yesterday that he was heading back down to Juneau yesterday. He had been listening to the meetings via Zoom or teleconference or whatever, uh, still working. And now he's back down in Juneau with the last report that I heard that he's back down in Juneau. So that was another <clears throat> big story that uh, we may have missed uh, over the uh, over the weekend. And finally, it's it really started. To, it's really starting to look uh, 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 good for Kelly Shibaka who is, she was raising funds. She raised $1.8 million uh, last year and spent a big vast, like 1.2 of it. She has about 600000 on hand. Uh, but of course, you know, the, the, the people who write in the papers, they're like all agaga about, oh, well, you know, uh, they don't they they don't ever want to paint Murkowski in a battle. First of all, that a that a relative unknown comes up and starts raising money and raises almost two million dollars in the first nine months of the campaign. That ought to tell you something. Uh, but they, of course, go on to say, like KTUU's headline says, Murkowski campaign reports more than six times more cash on hand than Chewbacca. Um, the ADN was a little bit uh, less. um <laughs> I don't know. What what do you say? Do you say eager, supportive? Do you say partisan? I don't know. Murkowski maintains significant fundraising lead over Shabaka. Well, I should hope so. She's been in the she's been in the Senate for what, 20 years? And she's got all the she's got all the horsepower from all the people there that are her colleagues, the Mitch McConnells of the world. Everybody else wants to keep her in track and you know, all this other kind of stuff. So it would not be and she had a bunch of money in her war chest before this whole thing started. So it would not be surprising that she has $4.5 million to Shabaka's basically $2 million. But um, I, I think this shows that Shabaka is uh, is making is really making some waves, and I think it's good. 
Um, I personally also think that that makes a lot of the campaign supporters and the Murkowski campaign and the supporters of that campaign a little bit nervous to see the kind of traction that she's getting. Uh, hence the whole reason behind the Alaskans for better elections, prop two, ranked choice voting, all that kind because they she did they did not want Murkowski to have to face Shibaka in a closed Republican primary because uh, uh, well, the she's been censured, but Murkowski's been censured by the Republican Party. They've asked her to leave. They've asked her to step away. And uh, Shibaka has been endorsed. So I think we kind of knew how that would play out. I mean, it might be a whole nother thing of 2010 again. And then she'd have to run some kind of desperate writing campaign and everything else. But see, now they've changed it all. So it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And then Nick Begich is getting some, uh, he's getting some traction as well. He's won uh, now the fifth endorsement from from an Alaskan mayor. Uh, Clay Coplin of Cordova has signed on to, uh, to endorse him as well. He also has endorsements from uh, Matsu Assemblyman Jesse Sumner, some school board members, the Alaska Outdoor Council uh, members, uh, some other uh, political activists and uh, Republican uh, uh, Republican mayors. There's a there's a lot of folks who are supporting Nick Baggage for Congress, uh, taking over from Don Young. And uh, like I said, uh, I've been saying for the last two years, I thought it was time that Young should be be gracious about this, you know, kind of get ready to step down, maybe maybe name his successor, so to speak, and and work with him and every. But no, Don Young is, I mean, he's just going to keep going until they, they're going to have to carry him out of there with a shovel because he's just, he is in it forever. Uh, but now I think maybe is the time, and Nick Baggage is starting to look like a real contender in that spot. There are some other, uh, there are some other names that you may have heard uh, as well coming out of that um, that uh, we're going to try and talk to here uh, in the near future, some of the other candidates that are out there as well. I know our own Randy Pernum has, has uh, thrown his hat into the ring and uh, and some others. So we're, we're going to talk about all that. But that's all coming up. That's that's not today. All right, we're up against the break. And that means that it is uh, it's time to it's time to go. And then we're going to come back with Kevin McCabe. So we'll have a little bit of uh, at least something interesting to talk about. We discuss the... We discuss the potential port authority between the Point McKenzie port and the port of uh, Alaska, or the port in Anchorage there. We're going to get some more details on that. We talked a little bit about it earlier this week when I explained my ignorance, and Kevin McCabe was kind enough to come on and give us a little bit. We're going to get more today, and like I said, we may talk about Kabata and the future of that as well. We're going to be uh, we're going to be back in a minute. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based. Free thing at radio. What is that? Common sense. Regularly heard on American radio. Michael Duke Show. Well, hi and howdy this morning. All you people on Facebook, I don't know what happened yesterday. I wasn't playing the theme. I wasn't doing whatever. And Facebook was still not cooperating. So, you know, here you go. We finally, we we got it. We made it. I'm going to adjust this down just a little bit. Is that better? That's better. Okay. So... 
Hi, how are you? Good morning to y'all. Now, for you folks on Facebook this morning, and there's a message on Facebook, uh, 33 of you on Facebook right now, uh, If do this right now. Open another window or go to YouTube. And, in fact, let me, uh, let me just give you the link. I'm going to give you the link here in the chat room to YouTube because uh, the last couple days, uh, Facebook would just not allow us to broadcast. We actually started the broadcast one morning, and Facebook intentionally killed it because they didn't like my my theme song, which is a copyrighted song, which I've been using for years because radio pays ASCAP and BMI and all the fees and everything else, but Facebook doesn't like that, and so it's a whole thing. Anyway, the folks that got a chance to... Um, the folks that got a chance to uh, uh, watch us and follow us were the ones that had already gone to YouTube. I just posted the link in the channel and they had subscribed and they had rung the bell. You got to hit the subscribe button and you got to push the little bell icon there to get notifications when we go live. So if for some reason, Facebook poops their pants again in the morning, which again, the last two weeks have been a total and complete train wreck for Facebook. Um, you at least know that YouTube will be up there and you can go watch us there. Yesterday we had 40 or something people in the chat room in, on YouTube at one point, and I could see both chats right now. I could see 12th Man and Mongo and uh, a bunch of other folks have been in the uh, YouTube chat this morning, Alaskan Bull, um, and a bunch of uh, and Sherry. Sherry is on. She said, I didn't even try Facebook today. You can go out there and you can do that. And I can see both chat rooms at the same time. I've got a little widget here that gives me all the unified chats. Uh, I can see Twitch and I can see Facebook and I can see YouTube all at once. So I'll try and read those comments as we go through. Um, And yeah, like 12th Man says, like and subscribe and hit the bell so you get all the notifications from Michael Dukes. So there you go. Um, All right. Um... Baggage got support of showers. Uh, Mike Shower is supporting uh, Nick Baggage. Uh, I commented on that, and he private messaged me. That was interesting. Okay. Well, good. Uh, Fuzzy is talking about the truckers, the truckers over in Canada. They, uh, they have been, they've been making some big waves over there. Uh, I haven't been following it that closely, but I see that they really have gotten some, uh, they've gotten some interest in that, so that's good stuff. Uh, let's go over to the phones here and make sure all my poop is working here, all my stuff. I think we've got Kevin McCabe on the line with us this morning, but let's double check. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Facebook didn't cancel me, thank goodness. Oh, man. I tell you, you just never know what Facebook is going to cancel you on these days. I mean, it could be something you did six years ago. Um, right. I got a community warning earlier, or I guess it was late in this year or early in January. I got a community warning from something, I, a meme or something I posted like five years ago. Uh, wow. <laughs> I'm like, wait a second. That was like, five, I mean, you know, anyway, it's uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, well, God, for, God forbid that they cancel the warm-up ban for Mike Shower. Yeah, exactly. Well, they're going to they're gonna try and do it. He'll be in Facebook jail for a few days. I'm sure it'll be fun. Um, anyway, uh, hold the line, my friend. We're going to be back to you here in about just a minute. We'll get, we'll get back on it. Uh, Mongo says, I was just on Facebook and the video keeps hanging. So here I is, um, on YouTube in his COVID bed. Oh, my friend, I'm sorry to hear that you got the, you got the, the, the vid, the Rona. Um, seems like everybody around me has gotten the Rona recently. My dad is recovering right now, 80 something years old, recovering from the Rona, uh, and friends and everything else. So 
I keep dodging the bullet, thank goodness, but uh, I, hope you, uh, I hope you get home today. That would be a good thing for sure. Facebook is in its death row, says Robbie. Well, I don't know, but it is a hot mess. I do know that. All right, my friends. Well, we're going to jump back into this and uh, keep things rolling. We are about 15 seconds out. If you're on Facebook, like and share, and don't forget to like and follow the show page, and don't forget to come out and see us over there on YouTube as well. Let's get back into it. Here we go. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. All right, welcome back to the program. The Michael Luke Show. Jumping into it now with our guest for today in hour one, Kevin J. McCabe. That's right, man, myth, legend. My own representative from the House of Representatives out there in, well, I guess what was District 8? I don't know. They keep changing the numbers. What's the new district, Kevin, first and foremost, uh, that you are going to be representing? It will be District 30. District 30. I mean, they, of course, they have to do that. They have to move. The District 30 is down on the peninsula now, but now they're going to move it up to the Matsu, and everybody's going to be confused, and uh, we'll see what happens with that. Um, how And how big – did you have a big change in your district? I can't remember. I don't think it was much. It was a bit, but not huge, right? No, it was huge, actually. I lost uh, the district uh, – the difference between District 8 and District 30 is about 6,000 people, and uh, the size – Square miles wise, it about tripled. Yeah. Well, so it goes all the way up to Healy and Clear. I'm sorry, Anderson and Clear. And I lost, uh, I lost Meadow Lakes one and two, and I lost part of uh, Knick Fairview. Okay. So you're still my. I'm out on the. I'm out on ten nine ten miles. So uh, I'm I'm still in your district, but uh, they they carved it a little closer towards me on the other side. So okay, I get it. I get it. Well, anyway, that's going to be a whole nother can of worms. Once the session is over, we'll be talking about that. And once the courts decide exactly which which carve out is going to be which. So we'll I'm sure we'll follow up on a report on that. But um, you were kind enough to call in on, I guess it was Monday or Tuesday uh, when we were talking about the port authority, the proposed port authority by the governor. Uh, And I'd ask the question like, well, where did this I mean, where did this come from? This seems like a. This seemed like a solution looking for a problem, that it wasn't really a problem. But you kind of gave us a little bit of an education here. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I think that that's that's much needed. And as I pointed out, I don't have a whole lot of knowledge. I think the first thing that came to mind, and you can tell me whether I'm right or I'm wrong on this, but when I first, uh, you know, when I I first got down here and I started to hear about some of the things in regards of the – uh, Port McKenzie and that project and everything else, uh, you know, in my mind, it was just another one of those ideas that was boondoggle. You know, that w- they thought it was going to be big. They thought if they built it, people would come. I mean, they were they got the ferry. They were going to do a cross arm ferry and do that. That didn't ever go anywhere. It never ran once. Cost them twelve million bucks. I mean, it just seemed like this was the whole point was that it was a boondoggle. But you said it still has potential, and this port authority might help shine a light on that. So that long wind up to get to you, so you can set us all straight. <laughs> well, you know, my friend Jesse Sumner, assemblyman in uh, 
in uh, the Matsu said it best. He said, you know, if he were to design the most poor management system in the world to manage Port McKenzie, he couldn't imagine a worse system than than the borough assembly. And it's and it's nothing against them. It's just the fact that they get traded out or they get changed out every three years and they have a finite life of two terms. And, you know, there's just too much uh, for them to do, too much other stuff for them to do. And Port McKenzie became sort of a sideshow. Uh, and, and everybody has a different idea and a great idea. So the idea of a, a professional port authority to handle both ports as well as the bridge is that we would shift the management of the ports away from the, the borough assemblies and the mayors would still have oversight, but we would shift the management of the port authority to a professional management company that knows what they're doing with ports similar to uh, the New York, New Jersey Port Authority. Uh, Seattle, uh, uh, Tacoma is a little bit different. They have a MOU, Long Beach, LA. Uh, there's a number of places. Tampa has a big port authority. I think six ports maybe in Tampa. So it, I think we need to get to that point because we have a, we have a huge uh, infrastructure there, mostly in place. It could be a great benefit to us, and I think that it's time that we quit squabbling and and put this together for the benefit of Alaska, especially with the everybody's talking about food security. It's not really food security in this case; it's food transportation security. But if you think of it, if the West Coast, say the West Coast grid went down, or there was some sort of a, a you know Occupy Seattle port or Occupy Tacoma port or something like that. Uh, we could be in deep trouble. We're already in deep trouble with the transportation of our of our uh, food and that sort of thing. So um, we need to do something about it. Well, it, you know, and look, I can see, I can see to a point to say, look, that we've already built it, we've already expended all that money. It's there. Now we should do the best with it that we can. Um, but at the same time, again, how much money do we throw? How much good money do we throw after bad at that point? Uh, and your, your point, yeah. And your point on food security is well taken. Don't get me wrong. But unfortunately, these are not two ports that are separated by much. You can literally see one from the other. And so it's not like if there was a tidal wave or tsunami or something that wiped out one, it wouldn't wipe out the other. It'd be nicer to have a port somewhere else that we could use that, you know, as an alternate to come in and everything else. But it's already built. It's built. It's there. It's already cost us millions of dollars. We should utilize it. We should make it work as best it can. But how much good money do we throw after bad? Well, so that's a, that brings up a good point. Um, the They're separated by a quarter mile of water, but they're also separated by the substrate that's underneath them. So uh, the Port of Alaska is in a pretty dangerous area. It has to have a whole bunch of shoring and work done to shore it up against earthquakes and the, and the substrate sliding off. Port McKenzie, not so much. Port McKenzie on, is on pretty solid ground. It's a deep water port. I said at the borough assembly meeting, you know, Nome wants a deep water port. Homer wants a deep water port. Anchorage dredges every year $12.1 million to get a deep water port. And guess what? The Matsu has one already dredged by nature every year. Completely, it's, it's it, at low tide, it has 30 feet under the keel of a Super Panamax 30 feet of water under the keel of a Super Panamax freighter. We've already had a Super Panamax in there. So 
I think we have huge potential to be um, a really good partner to the Anchorage port. Uh, we both have strengths. We both have weaknesses. We can build on each other's strengths. We just need the professional company to come in and put it all together. Let's talk a bit about your idea of this, because I was asking, where did this idea come from? And you said, well, maybe it may have come or started with some of the uh, you know discussions that you'd had with this idea of creating a, a port authority between Port Mac and the Port of Anchorage. Um, what is the, you know, what's the... What's the benefit? Line us out on what the benefit would be of having a port authority that would organize between the two, because I, I can feel pretty clearly, uh, feel pretty strongly here that the port of Anchorage is not going to want to give up the leadership style that it has. Maybe Port Mac is, but maybe not the other way around. So, what's the benefit of an idea of a port authority that encompasses both facilities? Well, a port is dependent on the amount of land, the footprint it has, where to store the uh, extra connexes, where do the uh, the companies that use the port, such as the construction companies, where do they store all their goods when they when they bring them in on the barge or they bring them in on the ship, that sort of thing. Think of a car carrier. When the car carriers come from Asia, they have to have acres and acres of land to store their cars on before they can move them out. You want to unload the ship and get it moving. So land and acreage and a footprint is very, very important. Anchorage has 15.1 acres. Port McKenzie has 14.5 square miles. So we have some acreage that Anchorage doesn't have. So there's a strength that Port McKenzie could lend to Anchorage, especially if we had the bridge once it finally gets built. I know that this is a decade in the future, and I know it's a huge vision, but I think we need to expand our vision. I think we can, we got to quit these little silos of, well, I want this amount of money to shore up uh, you know, this particular dock in Anchorage, or Port McKenzie wants this little bit of money for the sleeving, for the pilings. we got to stop that. We have to put it together, realize that the Port, port McKenzie also serves Fairbanks if we get the rail spur done. That's another 95,000, almost 100,000 Alaskans. So with the, the Matsu and the Fairbanks area and in between Talkeet and the Trapper Creek, all that sort of thing, we serve almost as many people as as Anchorage does, port-wise, right. if, if you consider it that way. So the benefit would be it would be more of a holistic approach between the two facilities and the money would go to the authority and then the authority would decide to dole out to which facility and what is that? Is that kind of the plan? Is that how it would sure, be? Sure. And the, you know, there would have to be a combined, there would have to be a plan and there, you know, this professional, the professional company and there are professional management companies would come in and, and figure out what was the fastest and what was the best way to do this and, and put it together and finally finish a project. And, you know, I said before as well, Russia has 57 icebreakers, and they're going to use their icebreakers as the gateway to the Arctic. Well, we don't. We have one icebreaker, the Polar Star, or the Polar Sea. I can't remember which one of the Coast Guard ones is is still working. And so we're, we need to get to the Arctic pretty darn quickly to to realize some of Lisa Murkowski's uh, Arctic plans and and that sort of thing. So we could do it with with this. This port could be the gateway to the Arctic with a rail spur to Anchorage and then the Dalton Highway on up to the Arctic for the North Slope. So there's lots of things we could do. Ambler Mining District, West of Sitna Access, when we finally put all that together. But they're all going to need a port to 
move out of. And I'm not so sure that running everything down through Anchorage is necessarily the right the right way to go. It's just going to add to the congestion on Fifth Avenue and Ship Creek and all of that spaghetti junction down there around the port. So uh, I I think that we have strengths and we we both have strengths and weaknesses on both sides of the of Knick Arm. And I think we need to build on our strengths and help each other with our weaknesses and move forward. What kind of money are we talking about here, Kevin? I know we keep talking about the rail line that never got completed, but I saw one number. Isn't it like another $200 million to get to, final, to finalize just the rail line to that area? Or was you know, I- when I was when I was running for office, it was $125 million. Last year, it was $140 million. This year, it's apparently $190 million. Um, you know, it just keeps going up really fast. And I think it's demonstrative of what, why we don't want to wait, why we should finish our projects when we, when we have the money and when we start, when we start them. So, well, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, I agree. I think it, it would be a great idea to have a, a port uh, that has a rail line up to the interior, bypassing all the mess going on around Anchorage and doing that. If that, if those materials were, uh, were to go forward up there. That would also entail some kind of hit, though, revenue-wise, and I'm sure in, in traffic-wise to the Port of Anchorage. Uh, why would they be interested in in participating in this? Uh, I mean, I see right now everything that the reception so far has been kind of lukewarm. Even Mayor Dave Bronson has said, well, you know, we have to look at that and, and everything else. It just doesn't seem – I mean, I, I, I understand what you're saying, but I'm like, there has to be a benefit to both parties. It seems in this there's kind of a – much more of a heavily slanted benefit towards the Matsu versus the Port of Anchorage, who probably doesn't want to give up their, you know, their their golden goose status as the only place to go at this point. Sure, I get that, and and Mayor Bronson and I are very good friends. Uh, both both of us uh, similar backgrounds, military and airline pilots, and and he and I have talked several times about this. Uh, the issue is in my opinion, is the Anchorage port is pretty close to capacity. You know, how many more ships can you run through there with the traffic and uh, and the Anchorage residents still put up with the double, you know, trailer doubles going through downtown Anchorage right. and, and that sort of thing. So uh, the, the footprint is the issue and access to our footprint would be uh, a, a huge benefit to them if they could, instead of going through uh, Fifth Avenue in downtown Anchorage with a double, you just jump on the bridge and run it across to Anchor or to Port McKenzie, and uh, and there you go, fourteen point five square miles. Well, so, you, you've actually given me the. This is the perfect segue to move on to our next uh, to our next topic, which is Kabata, the Kinnick Arm Bridge and Toll Authority, which I want to talk about here in just a second. But since we're up against it and we're changing uh, subjects, it's a good time to. Uh, hit the brick and we'll be back with more kevin mccabe is our guest house representative for district 8 soon to be district 30 we will uh, continue more discussions on this in just a moment don't go anywhere it is the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio let's see what uh, comes up next If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. 
Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, we're in the break right now. Kevin McCabe is our guest. You know, I want to, I mean, we're going to get into this with Kabata, but again, this really almost becomes in a lot of ways, Kevin, and and maybe people just can't see the long-term benefits of a lot of these ideas, but this really almost becomes an Anchorage versus the Matsu thing in a lot of ways. And, um, and I think this is going to be a very, very heavy lift to try and get this concept off the ground, especially since these places are going to want to be fighting on their own for their own dollars and they are not going to want to have to have a port authority on top of them over that to kind of delineate that. Um, I mean, give me some chances here. What do you think? Sure. I don't disagree with that at all. I think that's been part of the problem is every, all the, (coughs) excuse me, all the infighting and all the, what I call the siloing where people are, are, are saying, well, we need that money worse than you do, you know, or our port is closer than yours is, or, our port only needs this amount of money. Yours needs that amount of money. Or our port uh, uh, doesn't have a 6.9 knot current. And, you know, Port McKenzie has the deep water port because of the 6.9 knot current. So all that kind of stuff needs to be set aside. We need to start working for the good of Alaska, I think. Anchorage, the Anchorage Bowl is 95% built out. There's not much land in, it, in there anymore. The land is getting more expensive. Uh, it's shrinking because people, because of the expensive land, people are moving out to the Matsu, and the more Anchorage people that move out to the Matsu, you probably know that from uh, driving KGB Road and out there at Port McKenzie, the more people that move out to the Matsu, the more they are realizing that there's a need for another way to get to Anchorage. And I would think that the Anchorage businesses would say, heck yeah, there needs to be another way to get to Anchorage so that when there's a wreck on the uh, Occludna Bridge or, or someplace that shuts down the highway for six hours, people can still get to my store or they can still get to my transportation company or they can still get to, you know, all the things that Anchorage has to offer us. Right. So... Well, I still recall the. I still recall. I think it was our first year down here that uh, I'd gone to pick up my daughter at the airport. She was spending, uh, I think it was New Year's with us, or uh, anyway, some holiday with us. And we were driving back uh, from uh, Anchorage to Wasilla, and that was when that uh, fatal accident happened. The guy crossed the center line out uh, uh, just at the bottom of, uh, you know, at the uh, bottom of Aklutna and Mirror Lake there, and. And it had traffic backed up for miles, and people literally sat in that line for seven, eight, nine, ten hours to try and get into Anchorage. And it, you know, it is tough when you've got a facility or a, 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 a community like that where you've only got one way in and out that is transited by seventy thousand people a day. You know, uh, right. so it seems to make sense to have a secondary access and or a way to bypass. I mean, that's why many cities have beltways and everything else that goes around them. Um, and so I definitely want to talk a little bit, bit about this um, because this has been poo-pooed in a big way by a lot of people. And uh, and I think for uh, scurrilous reasons, quite honestly, when it's all said and done. But um, let's change gears real quick here, Kevin. Um, can you give us a quick – I got about two minutes here before we got to jump back in. Can you give me a quick legislative update from your perspective as a member of the House Minority? What's going on? And, I mean, is there anything going on other than the whole Eastman, uh, you know uh, – cancellation thing going 
Yeah, well, the, I mean, we call it the Eastman thing, but it's not about Eastman, really. They could use anybody, any one of us to do it. I mean, think of, you know, the Oath Keepers has never been indicted. They Some of their members have been accused and arrested, but the Oath Keepers themselves has never been indicted. They've never been called a terrorist organization. And I would bet that those 10 guys, I would bet most Oath Keepers are members of NRA. So I'm a member of the NRA. Could the liberal left use me and say, well, wait a minute, you're a member of the NRA. Those 20 people that created the January 6th issue in Washington, D.C. are also members of the NRA. So Representative McCabe, we are going to remove you from the House of Representatives because of your close association with the NRA members who are terrorists or, or who uh, created this issue. So it's not about David Eastman. It's about our legislature and due process and innocent until proven guilty and all those American things that seem to go by the wayside when the when the liberal uber left get a hold of them. Well, and again, the idea first that they couldn't expel him, so now they're going to punish him by taking him off the committees, which may or may not get some support from uh, members of the minority. I don't know. But again, it just seems like the whole thing seems at this point to just be punitive. Sure. And it's not punishing him to take him off the committees. It's punishing the rest of us, because when they take him off of committees, he loses staff points that we don't necessarily gain. And we have to take over his committees right. with, with, without the extra staff. So, yeah, doesn't doesn't make sense. All right. Uh, we're going to come back to it here. Hold the line, Kevin. Um, I got to be back to you here in just a hot second, folks. Please like and share this video uh, on Facebook. If you're there, make sure you like and follow the show page. But also as a backup. Go over to YouTube and uh, make sure that you subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube, because if we continue to have problems with Facebook, we're guaranteed to be on YouTube every morning, and at least you'll get a notification that we went live. That's the important part. So go check it out. We're going to be back with more. Don't go anywhere. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. All right, we're continuing now. Kevin McCabe, our guest. He's the GOP state representative in the House for District, what's currently District 8 and eventually going to be District 30, apparently. He's on board with us. We were just talking about the Port Authority proposal that would combine Port McKenzie and uh, Port of Anchorage, or what they're calling the Port of Alaska, um, into uh, kind of a super Port Authority, and it would... uh, manage monies and and overall manage the two facilities together in conjunction and in partnership with each other. Uh, Somebody in the chat room said something that I thought was pretty interesting. And they basically said that um, as long as the, you know, reliance on the port of uh, of Anchorage limits the growth of the state, because as you said, they're close to being at, um, at full capacity. They can't, you know, couldn't take another ship, couldn't take another load every week, but you've got Port McKenzie idle across the bay with no big cargo ships going in in years. I mean, I think thir- 12 or 13 of them in like 12 or 15 years. They've had barges and things, but not the bigger ships. Uh, so some things could be done and things could be made to happen. But a lot of this comes back to, and you've mentioned it several times, this idea of the bridge going between Anchorage and into the Matsu, which is the Knick, uh, Knick Arm Bridge 
Um, and uh, back in the day, they created the Knick Arm Bridge and Toll Authority, which would have built this bridge across uh, the the uh, across the arm and opened up Anchorage in a variety of ways. Now, there was a huge amount of pushback. I remember when I first moved down there, the project was moving forward. They were talking about it. I was personally excited about it because my commute uh, into Anchorage is 58 miles one way. Um, and where they were proposing to drop the bridgehead would have been about three miles from my house. It would have turned my trip from an hour and maybe an hour and 15 minutes with traffic into about a 15 or 20 minute trip, uh, which I would have been more than willing to put a, a you know, easy pass a toll sticker on my car or whatever to go in there and do that if it would save me that amount of time and wear and tear on my vehicle. But later on, it became this whole thing about how it was a bridge to nowhere. That became the new mantra, Kevin. Uh, tell me a bit about that. Well, I think that the new census that we've just taken with the Matsu Borough being well over 100,000 people now indicates that maybe nowhere was the wrong word. Maybe we have decided that collectively, excuse me, that the Matsu is somewhere. And and frankly, if we are going to attract any industry in Alaska, we need to have the room for it. And how, where would we put industry, uh, some some big manufacturing or some industry, where would we put them in Anchorage? There's right. just not enough room. So uh, we are somewhere. Uh, the Matsu is somewhere. And, and truthfully, um, one of the things I fight all the time down here is the fact that the Matsu, they seem to think that we're just another uh, little backwater uh, redneck hick area. Uh, you know, the whole, uh, oh, what was it that some legislator said about the Matsu? Well, I can't even remember. We all we all had shirts, uh, shirts about it. Valley trash, that's what we call us. Right. And uh, we're not... We're, we're growing, we're vibrant, we have lots and lots of potential. We have potential for the state, we have potential to uh, move the state forward into a direction that we all know that we want to go. And what's happened in the last 10 years with Kabata and with the Port Authority, with the Port of Anchorage and Port McKenzie has not worked. The right. management style and the style that we have used and in, in everything else, all we have done is continue to throw money at uh, at bad management and bad decisions and and frankly you know, you know the port of Alaska or the port of Anchorage is in trouble because of bad management because we have done over all this because we haven't had a vision so we need a vision we need to move forward with this vision and and I think the vision needs to be bigger than just each individual port and a and a bridge it it needs to encompass all of them and it needs to it needs to include fairbanks right. frankly i mean the lower 48 has port authorities that are interior such as fresno the port authority but well, what does fresno do with the port authority well think of it they have all this agriculture that they ship out of long beach and los angeles and they're tied into long beach and los angeles via the rail right why not a fairbanks port authority why not a delta with all their with our, all their barley, Salsha, with all their, uh, Salsha's already got food um, places established. You know, we could bring it down via the via the rail railhead, bring the food down. And I, I just, I see all kinds of upside. Of course, the downside is the money and, you know, putting everything together. And it's all, it's all like herding cats. I get that. But um, I think we this is, this is potential. 
Well, I find it ironic, you know, again, calling the Kabata situation a bridge to nowhere. Uh, you know, again, Wasilla and the Matsu is the fastest growing uh, community in the state and has been uh, for the last seven or eight years. I mean, ever since I moved down here, I mean, they've now they've surpassed Fairbanks. Fairbanks was the second largest municipality in the state, and now they're the third. Matsu has outgrown them, and they're going to continue to grow. Um, calling the bridge, uh, Kabata, uh, situ- the, the Kabata Bridge, calling that like a bridge to nowhere is like saying that the, the Oakland Bridge is a bridge to nowhere. I mean, sure, uh, when they first did it, Oakland was a lot smaller than it was, but the second that they did, it opened up opportunity for people who wanted to commute into San Francisco and do that, and that community exploded. And I think that's the two-edged sword there. One, the people in Anchorage, uh, and there's there's a lot of resistance in Anchorage to creating the bridge because I think people who are there, as you pointed out, the place is 95% built out. There's really the 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 space to build is few and far between it's very expensive the housing prices are way up their fear is is that if a bridge project does go through and offers you know cheap or affordable land on the other side of the bridge just on the other side of the bridge that they will see their property prices uh, uh plummet and they may for the first you know 5 or 6 years but property like that is a long haul proposition it will eventually rebound but the opening and the opportunity for people to be able to expand is so much greater, and it seems like nobody can think beyond what their assessment may be next year. Right. Well, I agree with that. And we need to think bigger. We really do. We need to, as and especially as legislators, we need to stop thinking about our little silo, our little district, or, or our district. I shouldn't call them little. I get that. But and start thinking about Alaska. Uh, you know, the food security thing is rapidly, if you look at the grocery shelves and all the pictures of the empty shelves, is rapidly becoming an issue for us. And we need to, you know, 25 or 30 years ago, we had, we produced 50% of the food that we consumed in Alaska. Now we produce 5% of it. Mike Shower could easily touch on that. I mean, he and I have talked about that many times. 5% of the food that we need to survive on is produced in Alaska. So we need to figure out ways to build our infrastructure to get food to Alaskans, whether it be the villages, whether it be Fairbanks, whether it be the Matsu, whether it be Anchorage. And I think this is a key part of it. I, I really do. Kevin McCabe is our guest. We're talking about the uh, Port Authority, potential Port Authority between Point Mac and Point uh, and uh, the the port of anchorage and the kabata bridge now that project is dead i mean there's just there's no going at it that is a project that would cost i think at one point they said it was going to be what a billion and a half dollars or something to build the bridge but i mean when was the last time we built a major bridge in the united states you know it's it's of course it's going to be expensive but i mean could it be up could it be offset i mean you know like i said i'd be willing to throw a, a daily sticker on my if I had to pay three bucks to get into Anchorage every time I cross the bridge it would be well worth it just for the time and material I mean that's a gallon of gas right but the wear and tear of my vehicle would go down by you know 75 percent a day plus the time saved and everything else and the congestion and having a secondary access I mean there's a lot of moving parts here but it, it could be you know offset in a financial way by the people using it Sure. And, you know, you mentioned it, you touched on it earlier. And what, what you were saying is there hasn't been a major bridge built in the United States in forever. There hasn't been a major road built in Alaska in my memory. 
I mean, what was the last major road we built? What was the last big infrastructure project that would help businesses and help Alaska thrive and survive and grow? What was the last major thing we, we built? I mean, we spent, you know, when I was campaigning, I said it on your radio show, we spent $17 billion worth of our savings. And what do we have to show for it? Right. Why don't we spend some of that on this bridge? You know, and, and the answer is, is because of all the people that, sort of went to battle against it on one side or the other. We need to stop that. We're all Alaskans. We all are in this together. And if if we get our shipping shut off, we're going to need a way to uh, get back and forth between Delta and Anchorage and Salsha and Anchorage and all those wonderful places where we have farmers that are just waiting to feed us. Yeah. Fort McKenzie and Anchorage. Well, it's uh, it's an interesting discussion. I mean, I wish uh, wish we could get further into it, and uh, and we're gonna have to we're gonna have to come back and maybe spend a, a little more time on this in the future and get some more details and stuff. Kevin McCabe, thank you so much for being part of it today. I appreciate you calling in. Yes, sir. Say hi to Dozer. I will. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. Mike Shower up next. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Um, Kevin, I guess your final thoughts on this. I mean, it, the, like you said, I mean, a bridge is, even if they started today, it's 10 years out, right? Sure. I mean, it's, it's 10, 12 years out. Uh, a port authority, those changes again would be a decade in the reckoning and in the making. But if we don't get started on something, we, we, I mean, it, it's, it, we got to do something at this point. Right. And we're already having a problem attracting industry because we seem so unfriendly to the, uh, to the oil companies and we seem so unwilling to change or to give tax breaks or find ways for cheaper energy. I mean, the, you know, the energy on the rail belts, 25 cents or 22 cents a kilowatt hour and a, a, a industry or a business is going to need somewhere close to 11. So we need to fix that. We need to solve our problems that attract industry unless we just want to be a state park or a federal park and shrink our population and uh, we can just all, uh, you know, go to work shoveling, shoveling up the snow and just call it good, you know? Well, it, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I wish I, I wish I had, uh, I wish I had a magic wand and could make some of these things happen. But like you said, we've been fighting this for years and the fight will just continue. I am not, I will just say right now, I'm not hopeful that a Kabata bridge situation would be fixed in my lifetime, but I mean, I, I, I would sure like to see it because it sure would make it easier to get it in and out of Anchorage and it would help continue to expand the Matsu and give people who live in Anchorage a more affordable opportunity to actually live and participate and work and play in Anchorage than, uh, than what we have right now. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's crazy. I agree. So, yeah. All right. Well, um, Kevin, thanks so much for coming on board. I appreciate it, uh, and thanks for sharing your thoughts on this. We look forward Michael. look forward to talking to you here more as the session progresses. Keep me in the loop on anything uh, hanky that happens. You know what I mean? <laughs> I will do that. All right. Thanks so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. Kevin McCabe, yes, House District uh, 8 uh, on the program. Um, <clears throat> Kevin's idea of fiscal restraint is to stop requiring front license plate. That's a fact. You know, Harold, you just you make me tired, dude. Yeah, so it only saved us three hundred thousand bucks or something, right? I mean, that was it. It only saved us three hundred thousand bucks, but I mean, that was three hundred thousand bucks that we were spending, and now we're not. 
So, I mean, are you going to bitch about the fact that he only saved us 300000 bucks by re- no longer requiring front license plates? That's your complaint? Oh, he only cut a little bit. Not that he cut compared to a lot of people who don't want to cut at all, but you want to run him down for that. I mean, again, what have you done for us lately? Kind of question. Um, all right, we're getting ready here. Uh, Mike Shower is going to be our guest up next. Uh, I think he's on the phone right now. Let me just double check. Good morning. Should I say I'm somebody else? Yeah, I think you should say you're somebody else at this point. Nobody wants to hear from you. I mean, yeah, Edie, I mean, right? Yeah, Nakatomi Beachside. How can I help you? Um, all right, I'll hold the line, my friend. We're going to be back to you here in just a minute. Um, the bridge support should have across the inlet should have wind turbines on it. Well, I mean, they t- keep talking about the they keep talking about the uh, the six knot tide that goes through there twice a day or whatever it is. Why don't we have uh, Why don't we have tidal generation on that? I mean, there's so many things you could do, so many things you could do, but nobody wants to. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to get in there and fight. I mean, seriously, it's uh, it's frustrating to watch. I mean, like you said, we haven't had a major infrastructure project in the United States. Somebody just said, well, they built some bridges in Fairbanks. Yeah, they built bridges that were 100 feet across that spanned a river, like a little river. And they just rebuilt them. They didn't build them from scratch. They didn't say, hey, we should get a bridge that goes across from here to there. And this bridge, again, would be... I mean, I keep going back to the Oakland situation. People are like, oh, you shouldn't compare it to Oakland because Oakland is a yes, Oakland is a is a is a hole, man. That place is like the Calcutta of California. I get it. But the concept is still the same. You opened up and connected the you know city of San Francisco in a big way that you would never have been able to do before. And that's what we're talking about doing here. Opening up Anchorage, the largest city, and giving people the opportunity and the choice to be able to maybe make a better living because their their uh you know their housing and everything else is a little bit more affordable. Um I mean it's it's crazy. Yeah, tidal generators would harm the 14 beluga whales in Cook Inlet. And that's another big thing, of course, is the stumbling block of the environmentalism that's all about that stuff. Um and you know, this is why we haven't built a major anything in this country in years because the environmental movement is out there like, "Oh, we can't do that. You might harm the 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 bird." or the vole, or the the garden snake, or whatever it is that they're talking about harming. It was like they were saying with the pipeline, oh, you can't do the pipeline. All those caribou, they will be devastated, and they will be. And, of course, now we've got pictures of caribou herds moving under the pipeline and giving birth under the pipeline uh, and running all around there. I'm not saying you be willy-nilly and just blast the environment. I'm saying we can all live together in harmony, kumbaya, and do all that stuff. We just need to, you know, we just need to move forward with it. You know, we Anchorage is at its maximum. There is no more room to expand. There is no more room for housing. There is no more room. That's why when I first moved down to Anchorage uh, or moved down to the South Central, I looked at living in Anchorage because my work was going to be there. And I thought, well, that would be easier, less commute, everything else. To find a comparable house to where I was at in Anchorage, it was over $3,300 a month. And then I'm, okay, how about Eagle River? Oh, that's only 2900 bucks a month. And Chugiak, that's only 2600 bucks a month. Okay, how about Wasilla? Oh, $1,500 a month. I mean, you just, it was a no-brainer. Even if I had to spend $300 a month in gas, it was still made more sense. It just, it, you know, but you just, you can't, you can't fix this level of stupid, it seems like. All right, we're going to jump back into this. Um, uh, we're going to talk uh, with Mike Shower. He's up next. 
and we're going to uh, get things ready to rock and roll. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Make sure you like and share the video on Facebook. Make sure you go hit subscribe and hit the bell on YouTube so in case Facebook craps the bed, you know exactly where you're going. All right, we got to go. Here we go, hour two right now. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome back to the uh, Hour 2 of the Michael Duke Show. I know normally we play the theme music at the top of the hour, but I'm trying to stay on Facebook. They don't like it when I play that stuff, apparently. They keep dinging me on it and kicking me off the platform. So, until I get a new song built up for the theme song, that's, I guess, where we're going to go for now. Uh, Welcome back to the program. It is Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast, and we are about to dive into it with the Shower Hour of uh, Power... Uh, where we spend an entire hour talking with uh, State Senator from District E, GOP State Rep Mike Schauer, who joins us this morning to talk about this and more. Good morning, sir. How are you doing this morning? I am doing just fine. I was the first comment, Mike. Say so your music's different. What happened? Yeah, no, I, you know, we couldn't. I mean, part of the problem is Facebook has been such a hot mess when we simulcast the show over there anyway. There's been lots of problems with the platform. And then we discovered we couldn't figure out why the shows would start and then they would crash about two minutes into them. And uh, I realized that I was getting flagged for copyrighted music, although I'm allowed to play it uh, on the radios because the stations pay all the the rights fees and everything else. But Facebook, they've got no sense of humor about that. They don't apparently don't believe me or I don't know, whatever. So anyway, we're going to no, figure it no, out. Michael, just just tell them that you're liberal. Uh, and all will be well. That's right. Just tell them that I totally believe in Brandon and it's all going to be fine. Um, well, you're a Marxist. You believe in Brandon and they won't touch it. Right. I'm a member of BLM. How dare you deplatform me? Um, all right. Uh, so let's uh, let's dive into today. Um, I don't know exactly what you had in mind to talk about. I do want to talk about what's going on with the session. I want to talk a little bit about the ConCon. I want to talk about the the fate of bills that are going on there. But if you want to comment first on the Port Authority, because I, I saw the your comment in the uh, in the newspaper was you think it's a bad idea. And come on, guys, we can't do that. And then McCabe had said, well, I'm not sure that they didn't misquote him because you and he had talked about it. So since we just spent the last 45 minutes talking about the idea of a Port Authority between Port Mac and the Port of Anchorage um, and the potential for Kabata and all that kind of stuff. Why don't you give us your thoughts on that first, and then we'll give you free reign to, to kind of take the conversation somewhere else. Uh, yeah, I feel like you're very needy this morning. I want, I want, I want. So just, Yes, just that's, that's how it is. Again, liberal <laughs> member of BLM. What, uh, what, so what are your thoughts there? So first of all, this came, the quotes came out of a Senate Transportation Committee hearing 
and this was the discussion was centered on the bill in front of us, which was the governor's general obligation bond. So first and foremost, I have had a lot of hard questions since last year. They had a whole bunch. They had about 40 projects on it spread around the state. Now it's down to about 12. So at least they've skinnied the list up a little bit, still have the same amount of money um, on it. I'm not generally a fan of, of general obligation bonds. You're kind of putting stuff on a credit card, and I don't think we should be doing that right now. And I made it very clear that I'm not particularly a fan. I, I get that there are times to bond for things that you can't afford that you might need. And I'll give you an example, the one up in the Matsu, right, with the, the roads. We're so far behind in infrastructure for the growth we've had. You know, we know there's a safety issue. We're not building roads fast enough, big enough. And, and the planning was terrible for the growth that you've seen in the last 20 years. So I get it at times. But the questions that we're asking, Mike, were centered to him like, let me get this right. All right, we're, we can't afford our budget. Unsustainable. The nation's leveraged to the hilt, you know, with, with 150 or $60 trillion of obligated and unobligated expenses we have to pay into the future that we know we're never going to get to. Hyperinflation is probably coming, losing the world reserve currency status. You know, these kinds of things are the things you're thinking about, right? And we're going to bond. And I'm looking at the CPA guy from the administration who's talking about, well, yeah. I'm like, you know, so what happens to our obligations? Well, you know, it can take 10, 12 years paid off. And, you know, if interest rates go up, that's going to affect us because the reason they want to bond now is because it's low interest rates and we can make money on the bond. I said, well, what if it goes, well, then that, yeah, well, I'm like, uh huh, uh huh, okay. Why are we taking that risk when we have? You know, billions of dollars coming in from the federal government, potentially, right, for all right. this ARP and CARES money and infrastructure, and God knows what else they're going to create some more fiat currency for us. And we also have windfall from the growth of the permanent fund. Oil prices gone up. Why, if we really, really need it, why are we borrowing a third of a million, you know, billion dollars right now for these things? So right. that's kind of the big tension thing. And then in the geo bond package, there was 170 or $175 million dollars. Um, for the Port of McKenzie and for the Port of Anchorage. And they were going <laughs> to, right this is my point, Mike, it said right in the paperwork, it goes, we're going to give that money to the Port Authority to decide how they're going to spend it, you know, between the ports. I'm like, um, boys, put my hand up, I got, I got a question. Like, uh, yes, sir, Sharon. I'm like, um, there ain't no Port Authority. So what are you doing? And they're like, well, yeah, we know, but you know, there might be, I'm like, what? <laughs> you can't, you can't give money to somebody to, to do something with it when they don't exist. So what are you doing? That is how the whole thing broke down, Mike. So right. probably a little bit out of context, but my whole point to it was that you can't give money to somebody to allocate that doesn't exist. And then what you're going to do is, is leave it to be a food fight between Anchorage and McKinsey or Port McKenzie between the Massey Borough and the Anchorage, you know, the city of Anchorage to figure this out. I go, just allocate it then. Just say, you know what, we're going to give 130 to Anchorage and 70 or 40 to Massey. I don't know. But the way it was set up was I'm like, oh, come on, guys. <laughs> we got to do a little better than that. Well, that, so, that was the point. I guess so going back to the idea, though, of a Port Authority and, and having one overarching agency that kind of you know, in a professional, maybe not an agency, but a professional, uh, you know, management company, like you said, and maybe in the private sector, does that make sense? I mean, I think the things that McCabe is talking about there in the overall scheme makes sense, uh, where they can kind of, they have to work in conjunction with each other instead of these independent bodies that seem to be duking it out. But does it make sense to you? I mean, what, what are you thinking? 
Mike, I don't know yet. That's the questions I've asked people. Said I'm, I'm not. I guess at this point, I'm still kind of neutral because I'm hearing arguments for and against. We haven't had any big meetings to go over it or any any hearings where you can have experts on all sides of the argument come and say, no, here's here's why it's good. Here's why it's bad. Pros and cons. And I have anchors. And I, what I'm actually doing, I think I told you this a few weeks ago, as I suggested, and I believe they have agreed to do it, was to have, in, regarding these two ports, was to have the uh, Matsu Borough and the municipality of Anchorage bring the mayors with their teams, their experts, come in, sit down in Senate Transportation mm-hmm. and Senate State Affairs, which Rob Myers and I chair the two different committees, right. have a joint hearing, bring them in, let them duke it out so we can all learn something and go, okay, what's maybe the best plan? I suggested the MOA for now, you know, MOU or an MOU between them to go, here's where the money needs to go based on priorities for now with the money that's coming in, this federal money, whatever, to start getting some of this stuff done and figure it out because it doesn't exist. It's a whole other layer of bureaucracy, right? Maybe it is the right answer, Mike, because we've got so many ports and, and needs. I, I don't know. I, I I can't really answer it because we haven't had this detailed you know, discussion yet to come in and, and listen to people that would be experts on all sides and go, what is the best way forward? I know right now it's a food fight. I know right now Acres says they got to have it, and McKenzie says we got to do this, and you know then we're, they're giving money to Seward for stuff and Whittier, and I'm like, okay, well, where's the priority, folks? How are we going to divvy up money where we're going to actually accomplish the mission? Because they did the same thing for Seward, and they briefed the wrong one. They briefed the one for like the passenger or the ferry terminal or something that was supposed to be the cargo. I don't know, whatever. And they dedicated money for some dock repair. And I'm like, you know, but a year or two ago, I remember them briefing us and saying they didn't have the rail cars to go to sewers. So if we do that, they can't do it anyway. So why why are we doing that? And they were all looking at me like, what? <laughs> right. Come on, guys. Right. I, you guys don't even know what you're – these questions. You don't even know what you're asking for money for at that point, right? Yeah, uh, just there's a lot of unknowns, Mike. And if we're going to do something like this, this needs to be thought well thought out. We need to have a serious debate where we can yell at each other on all sides. You know, the experts come in and say, yes, no, whatever. Like I wanted to have one with Dr. Zink and go, you know, don't give me an echo panel that's an echo chamber where everybody agrees with you. Show me some doctors and others that don't agree so we can have a real debate. Maybe we'll learn something. I'm tired of going into meetings where I only get one side of it and I don't hear the other side. And right. so that's why I suggested this joint hearing where we might be able to do that and actually learn something. What about the idea of Kabata? I mean, I know that that's kind of you know, political persona non grata right now. But I mean, living in the Matsu, being out there and again, like, I mean, where I'm at it, I'm perfectly situated. It would be perfect for me in, you know, 10 years or whatever to be able to just drive and take a right turn instead of a left turn and be in Anchorage in 15 or 20 minutes versus, you know, the hour and 15 minutes that it takes me to get there now. Uh, So what, I mean, what are the thoughts on that? I mean, it's not, it's no longer really a bridge to nowhere it would be expanding both Anchorage and the Matsu at the same time. I mean, what's the what's the holdup? What's all the what's all the fighting over? Well, first of all, what you're telling me, this is all about you. Yeah, I'm telling you, it's all about me. I really would like a shorter commute. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll just I'll put it in as a thing. This, this project's for Dukes. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> hundred a hundred dollar toll every time I step on the bridge. That's exactly what it would be. But I mean, you know, it's it, it obviously is not just me. I mean, I live on the most dangerous road in the world. And if those people were going the other way instead of driving it, it you know, it, it may not it still may make it a dangerous road, but maybe it would be better. And, of course, all those people wouldn't be on the highway. And, of course, the commute would be shorter and yada, yada, yada. I mean, there's so many things that could that could be changed because of it. Mike, make we need to make a decision and do it. I'm going to have people yell at us and say that Port McKenzie is terrible. Anchorage is the way to go. I'm going to have people argue the opposite. And people say the bridge is terrible, terrible idea. And they're going to say oh, we absolutely need it. You know what? 
we can argue till we're blue in the face. What I'm tired of, and you alluded to earlier in your diatribe when I was, you know, at seven this morning when I dialed in, was we're afraid to build things because of the environmentalists. We're afraid to build things because oh, it may not pencil out. We're afraid to build things, period. And I'm I'm sick and tired of not looking. I'm like build a da- build a damn dam, <laughs> Watana, because of the electricity and, and what it does for us. It's green energy. Build a bridge. If we want to build a bridge, build it. It's economic. It is economic expansion and opportunity. It is an alternate route. If we have earthquakes or a bridge collapse or something else happens on the one route between the economic engine of the state, the Matsu and Anchorage, right, and with all the backup stuff and the people commuting, it is a safety aspect. There's good reasons to do it. I heard you talk about the. Uh, Electric generators, they talked about with the tidal flow. I've heard people say, well, we can't do that there because of the mud and silt. Well, maybe it's true if you built a bridge over there, but what about the oil platforms where the water's clean? Why don't we put some on there? I've asked the question. I mean, there's, there are so many things we could do, Mike, but like we're afraid. We're afraid to build. We're right. afraid of somebody getting mad at us. We're afraid of what it might cost. Not to. We are basically, just like COVID, we are living in fear of doing anything anymore. I'm tired of living in fear. Just do it. If we want to build a bridge, then build a freaking bridge. So what? Move forward and hope it, it, it pencils itself out. If we think we want to do it, then do it. And if the money's not there and we can't, then don't. Simple decision, really. But we are all afraid of the optics and this and that and the other, and we're afraid of our own doggone shadow. And uh, I know you aren't, and I'm not. And I'm like, look, if we think the bridge is something viable, then build it. If the money's there, build the thing. Right. So it just – but it, it does equal a lot of positive things. And let's be frank. Do we need the Port of Anchorage? Yes, we do. And we need to get it right and all stuff. But, you know, would Port McKenzie be a good viable backup of other things with barges that roll on, roll up? Yeah, it probably would. But we can't do them both right now. We don't right. have the money. So well, we probably ought to prioritize this stuff. I guess we should get off the pie in the sky stuff. I mean, if, again, if we all had the magic wand, things that we would do. But, I mean, I guess we should start thinking about these on a long-term basis and, you know, looking at the long-term vision of how and get some a of these plan? things accomplished. No. I mean, I know, I know. Uh, but I mean, right okay. now, like I said, it's all pie in the sky. So we should move on to something else. I'm going to give you your. I'm going to give you the reins here and, and give you the lead here in the next segment. So don't uh, don't go anywhere. We're gonna we're gonna be right back. Mike Shower is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. We're going to be back with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We'll return with more uh, right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Even in the chat room right now, Mike, over this issue of Kabata and the ports and everything else, people are fighting it out here on the, in the, in the, I mean, it's, like you said, I mean, this is this is the contentious issue. And no, I don't think you're advocating for big government and on every side. You are still a limited government advocate. But one of the main things that government is supposed to be there for is infrastructure. One of the things that we were promised at statehood was infrastructure. One, of, I mean, the thing that they have never delivered on properly is infrastructure. Uh, you could cut half the other programs that they do in the state and uh, and put that money into infrastructure. And then maybe, maybe in 20 years, they may have fulfilled all the promises that we were supposed to get. But we don't have any major new roads or highways. We don't have any major bridges that would help things. We don't have anything that's dealing with the growth of these communities. I mean, this is crazy. 
Well, like I said, Mike, people are going to argue it out no matter what we say or do. So man up, decide what your priorities are, and fight for those. It's why I said I'm not sure if a port authority is the right answer or not. I honestly don't know. We haven't sat down to have the first long, heated debate over it with experts that could tell us pros and cons. We haven't even done that. So why am I going to have a position on something when I'm not sure? I look at the Port Authority like in New Jersey or New York. Oh, good Lord, it's got its own police force and all the infrastructure and costs hundreds of millions of dollars a year. I'm like, that may not be the right answer here, right, to, to do something like that. Because, you know, like what was it, Ronald Reagan said it, you know, those things that you can't kill, one of them's like a government, you know, it's like a virus, like a government agency. Once you get it, you're stuck with it forever. It's not exactly how he set up, but something like that. And so I don't know if that's the right answer. That's why I suggested maybe an MOU, at least for now, between Anchorage and the Matsu, get them together, have some agreements on where we're going to focus the money right now so those two stop fighting each other. We can work in tandem with them instead of all pulling each other in different directions and at least have maybe a five- or ten-year plan here of going, we're going to focus on this for now with this money, and then in four years or five, we're going to focus on this one. I mean, just give us something so we have a plan. It's one of the problems, Mike. We don't plan for anything. It's right. all a short one- or two-year timeline based on politics and people's re-election campaigns. It's not based on a strategic plan that says, here's what's best for the state, here's how we're going to execute it, and we all agree to this for now moving forward. We don't do that, or we don't do it very often, and we don't do it well. Yeah. Well, so. it's uh, – I mean, the whole thing is obviously frustrating, uh, but, I mean, at this point, I guess we're going to get what we're going to get. So it's uh, – it, it, it's fr- and again, the things that we're spending money on – that uh, we just keep throwing more money at because we think that's going to solve the problem. I mean, education is the elephant in the room on that. Spending billions of dollars on education and still ranking in the bottom of the the bottom of the barrel, still having a horrific graduation rate. What is it now? Is it? It's all the way up to what seventy six percent now, up from seventy three ten years ago. Uh, we've gone up a whole three points now in in graduation rate. One in four still failing school. Uh, and oh, yet, Mike. and yet, we're spending what one and a half billion dollars a year on it, or something. I think we're at one point two billion, but that's not including all the federal money, so it's a lot more than that. That's yeah. just what the state spends plus the local. But remember, on the education side, money's not the answer here, Mike. We're top three or four in the nation tied for spending per student as an aggregate. What we're not doing is trying new things like read by nine. Those are the things that other states have done policy-wise that have actually turned their states around for results for the children, and that's what it should be about, right? Our answer is always, well, let's throw more money at it. Change, Just get more money in the BSA. All will be well. Well, that's not working. How about we finally pass something like the read by nine? It's getting close. Maybe we'll do it this year. Who knows? But we need policy things, Mike. We need things that are going to – other states have done that go, this works. This is how you change things and turn it around, not just throwing money at it, because clearly money is not the issue. If for our spending, we should be, like you said, we should be in the tops. We're not. We're at the very bottom. So that's not the answer here. So, so how, do we, how do we fix that? I mean, Mike, where, where, are the, where are the things that need to be done to, to make this go away and to fix this? Where, well, like you know, I said, one is read by nine. I've, okay. I've, I've been looking at this. It's across the nation. States all over the country have been, uh, implemented read by nine because the data is very clear that if kids can read by nine, they tend to graduate and do very well, and they're successful. If they can't get them to read by nine years old, then they tend to have a very high failure rate. And you're looking at, at states that were near the bottom that implemented this 5, 10, 15, 17 years ago, like Florida. 
it was like number five now or something. And it used to be like 37. I, I don't remember the number, but something like that. It implemented three by nine within five years. They all changed right. it all around. Hold on. Hold on, Mike. We got to jump back into it. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. All right, welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking stuff. That's what we do. Mike Shower is our guest. We were just talking about uh, some ways to bring the government back on track, and education was a big component. I don't know if you want to comment on that, Mike, before we go on to whatever you want to talk about. But, I mean, look, it's one of the biggest expenditures. You know, that and health and social services, the two biggest expenditures we make in the state. Yet we continue to fall into the bottom tier on achievement. We continue to fall apart on uh, on graduation rates. Yet we continue to spend money. Nobody wants to address things like base formulas or you know, what we're giving or this whole hold harmless agreement thing where people are pulling their kids out of school because of COVID and now homeschooling has become more attractive and everything else. And yet the school districts still get 75% no matter what happens. They could lose all of their students and still percolate along for a couple of years on their hold harmless agreements. I mean, some of this stuff is just insane, but nobody wants to address it. Mike, read by nine is big. That has been validated across the country. The statistical data is there to prove that it works. There are things like school choice that I believe we ought to be heading down that path. Let parents choose. They want to homeschool, then the money should go with them. I've talked to you know uh, Kelly Shabaka about it, who's running against Murkowski. She's a, you know she that's one of the things she supports, and I do too. Let parents choose. Don't force them to be stuck into a public school system as their only option. Let them take that money with them. I guarantee you'll see changes as well because the students have a better program if they can go to a private school or a magnet school or be homeschooled. And the state generally has been pretty supportive of homeschools. You get some money, but certainly not the entire formula based on how much is available goes with you. So we should have choices for parents and kids for what they do. We should have standards like read by nine that force us to do something different than what we're doing and just throwing money at the problem. We should see the National Education Association Union giving us the actuarial data that we've asked for, and they lied to me flat out in my office and then in committee, so that we can work a better insurance plan and save probably upwards of $15 million and still have good plans. They won't cooperate. There's a host of things we can do, Mike. I mean, you could sit here for an hour and talk about just this one topic, but it's hard to do because you have a big you know, super tanker that has its momentum going one way, right? Newton's law, once an object's in motion, it's really hard to stop it, right? Or, you know, et cetera, or if it's sitting there static, hard to, it takes energy to get it moving. Well, that's what state government is. That's what government is in general. It's this big freaking super tanker with one direction. Try to change the direction, brother. Spin the wheel. You got a little tiny rudder down there trying to change that thing. That's us pushing on it, right? It takes a long time. It's not easy. And people go, but just do this and just do that. You've been around. We've had this discussion for years here. It's not that simple. I can't just make it happen by snapping my fingers. And I know you got a couple people on the, you know, that will be commenting here. Oh, you're stupid. You can't do this, that, and the other. Great. You tell me how you're going to do it. Because you got your commenters here right that well, if you just do this and you just do that. I can't. That's not the way our government works. And I only have limited authority to do much of anything. And I have to get enough other people 
to vote with us for those things or it's not going to happen. This isn't the MMA ring, like where you get to walk in with the gloves on, and if I walk out victorious, I get what I want. That's not how it works. Right, right. So, you know, if you want a dictatorship, I guess we could do that, but that typically doesn't work out real well for the people <laughs> in the end. All right. <clears throat> well, let me uh, – I'll let you off the – I'll let you off the chain here, and you can uh, – <laughs> Talk oh, about what, great topics. Yeah, talk about what you want to talk about. I know CONCON is heavy on your mind. Uh, I want to know what's going on with the election bill. I want to know what you're going to be hearing in state affairs or what you may not be hearing in state affairs because I know that that's been an issue that you may have to pull some parliamentary procedures to try and get people to play ball with you and everything. I mean, I just there's so many things going on here, but uh, I'll let you take the lead here and you can uh, you can do it. Oh, Mike, there's 100 million parts, of course. Um and we've, you know, we discuss them at all at all times, and we'll continue to throughout the year. Certainly on the Constitutional Convention, I didn't have a chance to watch Coghill and uh, Berg go at it last night. I'll have to look at that and see how that went. But, you know, I've talked to a lot of people, Mike, and so far, so far, and I'm talking to some people that have been involved in politics for a long time. I'm talking to some names you would recognize. I'm not, you know, can't throw them out yet because I don't know how public some of them want to be about their stance. But so far, from a lot of these what I would call old timers that have been involved here for a long time. Every one of them I've talked to so far um, have been like, yeah, you know, it's time. We need to vote for this and trust the people. Um, it's the right answer. The risk that everybody keeps talking about, how dangerous it is. Don't, they don't buy it. And these are people that have been up here for decades and decades and served in government and other things for a long time. So I'm telling you, Mike, that's, that's people that you would hear the name and go, Oh, wow. He believes. Yes, he does. Or she, and, the people, of course, I think are starting to realize that if they want to take it back, sending more legislators, regardless of the empty campaign promises, um, to vote harder, whatever that is, hasn't been working out real well. So how about we give it a shot at the old Constitutional Convention? I'm here to tell you, brother, but the, the bottom line is it ain't going to get worse. I hear all the fear. Here we go back again to what we just said a few minutes ago, all about fear, right? Oh, we're always afraid. It's always fear-mongering. Be afraid. You're going to die. Be afraid. You're going to do something wrong. Be afraid. They're going to take over. Well, I got news for you. They already took over your state. Special interest already run Alaska. You know, big unions, big special interest, big money already controls the state. So honestly, folks, what do you have to lose? That's my going in position. Everybody's, oh, the Constitution is going to get worse. No, it's not. It was written by mostly Democrats. This was a Democrat stronghold in 55 when they wrote it. And by the way, now you got a whole bunch of Republicans and conservatives and libertarians and others that would have more, a much broader voice at the Constitutional Convention this time based on the political makeup of the state. It wouldn't be run by all Democrats pretty much. So you have options to perhaps pass things to take some of your government back, like uno, numero uno, number one, Mike, it is the, the PFD. You want to save the PFD? Well, your legislature hasn't been doing it. Your governor hasn't been able to do it because it has a recalcitrant, you know, legislature who hate it because they want that money for government and other reasons. They want to be taxed and name to pick the reason. But so the PFD, you want to protect the PFD, move it forward, vote for a constitutional convention, because I'm here to tell you, I don't think your legislature is even capable of doing that. They want the money for government, et cetera, et cetera. Look at the numbers, Mike. We get outvoted every time. I voted for the statute of PFD every single time. I've put amendments in for it every single time. I've gone as low as a 50-50 with the hopes that we would do the constitutional amendment to protect it. Well, that ain't working out for us either. So, um, you know, here we go back to, well, you know, maybe next time, Charlie Brown, let's just vote this November, and maybe we'll send enough Republicans that this time, well, then you get another Kelly Merrick. 
throws everybody under the bus and gives control back to the Democrats for two more years. Right. When is it enough, Mike? When do you finally go, we're not successful by putting people there that promise things and lie to us? How about the people take it into their own hands? How about the people elect delegates are going to go serve for 30 or 45 days, one time, get it done? I'm like looking, the lieutenant governor sets this whole thing up, right, where the legislature makes the rules. They can override them if they get enough and make them. And I think the date ought to be set from like, oh, January to March, because <laughs> guess who can't serve then, right? Right. Uh, the, the current legislators put it time when the legislation's in session, uh, the legislature's in session. So, you know, it's kind of like uh, maybe somebody that would be running for office, like a statewide office for governor right now, but trying to serve as a legislator. How can you do both? You, you can't serve two masters. You're a jack of all trades, master of nothing. So either, you know, run for one or do the other. My point is the same thing if you're constitutional convention. You can't go to the constitutional convention if you've got to be in session. So there's ways to do things, Mike, to make it all work. But I am at the point I have realized this body is probably not capable of fixing the long-term structural and strategic things like protecting the PFD forever and taking it off the table, a viable spending cap in the Constitution that works, reductions that are structural, taxes to balance the whole thing out when it's all said and done, because one way or the other, Mike, unless you're not going to cut $1.5 billion, and people consider and complain about all they want, you don't have the numbers to do it. And there's too much special interest in the state running it. And I go back to the same problem. So you go, well, if we do X, Y, Z, you don't have the numbers in the legislature to do it. So do it yourself. Take it back via the Constitutional Convention. Put these structural changes in. Put the downward pressure on with the spending cap. So we can't spend it. You can do that in a con-con, Mike. This body's not going to do it. They're not interested in the cap. I've heard both of the Senate finance co-chairs say they won't touch it. We don't need a spending cap. We're never going to support that. Ain't going to happen. These are people in leadership in charge, and you think somehow we're going to make it work? So understand the battlefield, folks. There are certain hurdles because of the system of government we had and what you can and can't pull off. And for every action, there's also an opposite reaction, right? You could do something to piss a bunch of people off this year, maybe, but if it's not a long-term structural solution that's in the Constitution that passes, guess what happens the next two years? You neutralize yourself. People don't want to work there. They shoot you down or they fight. It's just this is the reality of the, the landscape that we're on. So we have to be very strategic in our thinking. But I'm telling you, if you want to see the real change that's going to matter long term, I don't see another path besides a constitutional convention. Maybe you and I will have to eat our hats by the end of this and somehow the legislature will solve one thing or two. Maybe. But with the House under the control of Democrats the way it's been back forth, I just I, I don't see it happening. I just don't. And you, um, and, you, it's not, and you don't have you don't have the fear of some of the potentials for opening up. the. I mean, because <clears throat> if you open up the Constitution for the PFD and for a spending cap and other things, you open it up for all kinds of things. And of course, we've seen that, you know, environmentalists have taken over Alaska in a lot of ways. We've talked. We just talked about how we can't build things because of that and everything else. You don't think that they would come out of the woodwork on something like this to support a lot of different things? I mean, how do we protect against that? There's always a risk of that, Mike. I go to the same thing I said before. What was it, Whitwicky, Transformers? No risk, no reward, or something like that. I'm like, so we could be afraid and say, oh my God, that's what's going to happen. Soros is going to come in, dump money. The unions are going to come in. They're going to try to take over the, the Constitutional Convention and ruin everything. They might. You're right. And I know this is not what you're contending, but I'm, I'm, here's my counter. We, we, oh my God, that could happen. Let's do nothing. 
because that's working out real well for us. Let's don't take the risk. Let's sit here and hide in our houses and hope that somehow in the next election or the one after that or the one after that or the one after that, somewhere, someday, somehow, somebody's going to fight for us and it's all going to get better. I'm looking at that plan, Mike, and I'm going, you know, remember Ghostbusters? I've done this with you a few times on the show. He's like, I got a plan. Follow me down in the library at the beginning of it. Right. And he goes, get her. <laughs> yeah. And the ghost comes out. Oh, they all go running away. I'm like, that's your plan. Get her. You know, yeah. I'm like, that's your plan. Well, I guess I it is that nothing because something bad might happen. Let's not take a risk of actually maybe fixing the problems. You're right. Let's just count on the legislator legislature to fix it for us. That's a good idea. Well, the definition of insanity uh, and all that. Um, I mean, I would like to think that the charter of changes could affect a lot of these problems. But the problem is, of course, is that it's too slow. We're only doing one or two at a time. We're only changing one or two people out at a time instead of wholesale like it needs to be done. And those that remain have an inordinate amount of power with every new person we put in there. It makes them more dependent on the senior statesmen that are there in the legislature. And of course, they're the ones with the institutional knowledge and the know-how and with the plan of keeping everything the same business as usual, because they don't want to give up their power. That's right, Mike. You got the guys that know every parliamentary trick, how to play the little games, how to do this funding and that funding and tie it like they did to us last year in the special sessions where you had to vote for this or else, right? Because they made it at the end, oh, it's $1,100 PFD or you're going to get nothing again. And that's how we would have gone into the end of the year. They did it on purpose to screw everybody over. It was the poison pill. They had the perfect setup because you had the finance co-chairs in both bodies set up with the president and the speaker, and that was the plan, and that's all you got. Parliamentary, there was nothing else we could do at that point. Nothing we could do but vote up or down. And that's how the rules work. So you're stuck with it because I can't put the gloves on and say, all right, Stedman, step in the ring. Right. Let's, let's have it out. And if I, you know, if I win, then we get a big PFD, a different vote. And if you win, you get, your, no, that's not how it works, Mike. So yes, there is danger and risk to a constitutional convention. I have been very forthright and open about that. But I'm also looking about it. What's the risk? Let me let me counter the question. What's the risk of doing nothing? Where are we today? Right. How well are things working out? Do you seriously want to wait again another two years and hope that maybe this time, Charlie Brown, the legislature is going to do something that this time the politicians will follow through on their campaign promises? Because how's that working out for you, Alaska? Right. How's it working out for you? <clears throat> well, again. The definition of insanity, I think, is lined up right there in that comment of, of, I mean, right there. Do you really want to wait another two years or do you want to wait another 10 years for the next potential for another constitutional convention? I'm, I, you know, I don't I don't think you're uh, I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong. All right. Uh, we're going to be back with Mike Shower. We got one final segment ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Don't forget, you can always join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show. If you want to come out and join the chat room, you can also do it on YouTube as well. They're going to be back with more. Don't go anywhere. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Mike Shower returns right after this. Why not take a quick break? Be right back. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and... 
MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, uh, in the break uh, with um, in the break with Mike Shower right now, uh, checking in, and uh, I don't know, we could change gears a little bit, whatever you want to talk sure. about, Mike. In the meanwhile, I hate to repeat myself on the radio. Once we get back, we got about five minutes here, though, so I'll I'll give you the floor and. Uh, I don't know. If, should we talk about some of the comments here in the chat room? YouTube has got some good comments this morning. Uh, first thing that needs to happen is the ones breaking the law have to be dealt with before we can open the Constitution. I don't know how you even do that. I don't even know, especially since they've got the political cover from the courts to say they don't have to follow the law. What? I don't, I don't yeah, even know how you do ask, that. Ask that person that says that, Mike, whoever it is, is irrelevant. Just go get it from the comments. Ask them how you're going to deal with them. How you yeah. going to do it? Because... They're not getting voted out by their districts. I mean, well, let's be honest. About two-thirds of the legislature has changed over in the last six years. Yeah. So we have cleaned a whole bunch of people out. we got a bunch of new ones. But like you said, a lot of the old guards there that knows all the, the tricks and procedures and keep getting put in leadership because, well, we can't do it without them. Right. So, you know, uh, so there's that. Their districts keep sending them back. So you can be mad about it in a different district and like yours, but you're still having to deal with those people. We can't seem to change that, one. Two, you just point out the how are you going to hold people accountable when the courts themselves let the legislature do whatever it wants? What's the Constitution even mean? Because people talk about that. Well, the judges go, oh, Constitution, what's that? I, I've never read that before, but here, I, I'm going to strike down election law. I mean, I know that's it says it very clearly in the book that that's the purview of the legislature, but I don't like witness signatures, so I'm just going to cancel that. Or it says very clearly about single subject. You know, when you go back to the dark money, that was the big lie with, you know, ranked choice voting. Oh, single subject. Well, I know it's got three different topics in it. They're entirely different, but nah, I'm not going to make you guys stick to that. I mean, Mike, how are you going to hold them accountable when the courts don't hold us accountable? They don't. Yeah. They're like buddy buddies on this. They're all in there. I mean, they're two thirds over two thirds are freaking Democrats. And the ABA and, and who the judges are. Look at who they are and what they say. And they go, oh, the, you know, the judges are very impartial. You know, the politics, not justice. I make fun because that's not their name, right? It's actually justice, not politics. But I call them politics, not justice. They're as political or more political than every other branch in this state. They'll sit there and say, that's not true. And they'll say, oh, it's, they are, Mike. Look at that guy that they just got pulled. That they just said he couldn't put his name back up for retention because he wrote that letter about where all Republicans need to die. You know, and the, oh, and Seward, yeah, people. the magistrate yeah. Seward, yeah. I go, um, well, well, no, wait a minute. No, all judges are objective. Also, you got a, I think it was a native judge, highly qualified, but he was conservative. And they said, no, he can't be up for this. And so that guy got shut down, I think it was by the Judicial Council just a few months back. I mean, you watch the court liaison is directed by the Supreme Court to fight certain bills. Like my one on judicial reform, and go, yeah, you're not political. So, Mike, right. it's absolutely political. So, how well, do you do what that person said? How do you hold them accountable? That's a good question. It's a good question. And no, this is not just another Democrats are bad rant. This is not I me. Mean, Mike and I have been talking about this. You got people like Stedman and Von Imhoff and Click Bishop and Kelly Merrick and others who are purportedly Republican. But when you talk about old guard, I mean, Click Bishop and 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 Bert Stedman. Uh, and and Gary Stevens had the list on the one side. You've got the, the Steve Thompsons and the Bart LeBonds and on the other side. I mean, they are they are dedicated and the quote unquote independents like Bryce Edgemond, right? I mean, this is this is not a party problem. This is a politician problem. With the exception of Josiah Potatic from um, I think it's District Forty, who's an independent, and that young man, I've had a lot of conversations with him. He truly is independent. Um, 
outside of that one, the, the, they'll lie, Mike. It's, it's, it's like the dirty secret that everybody knows isn't a secret. <clears throat> Excuse me, in Alaska. Independent means Democrat. It's, it means you can't run as a Democrat because you won't get elected. I, I got their little secret on this one. That's how it works. It's such a ridiculous lie. I can't believe anybody falls for it anymore, but whatever. So, no, it's not an anti-Democrat thing. It's the statistics. I'm saying what it is. If you have a Republican governor, as we've had for the last three years, and you got a left-leaning court, well, duh. Every time you try to get something done, they're going to strike it down, right? If you have a good law that conservatives support that passed, guess what? A left-leaning court is going to strike it down. They do it almost every time. So I say it in the sense of here's how I'm trying to explain to people what the battlefield looks like. If this isn't, you know, if, if the district sends their Democrat or person they like, that's their right to do so, whoever that is. And we have to work with that person. That's the way the system is. Doesn't mean you have to like it. And you can sit here and rant and rave about how you believe it's going to be, but your representative who you might like or, you know, you voted for because they're X, Y, Z, they got to go work with 59 other people plus a governor and then a court system that may be wildly different from what you want to happen. And they can't just snap their fingers. And that's what I'm getting real tired of certain people on your website and comments that go, oh, you're rookie, do this, do that. I'm like, you're an idiot. You literally are. You really have no idea how this works right. for the things that you say. Well, it'll be, the, um, it'll be the same people that say, well, if I get elected, I'm going to get you back your full PFD. Explain yeah. to me exactly how you're going to do that as one of 60. Yeah, you know, like one candidate's doing yeah. right now that's saying, I'm going to get your full PFD and back pay. I'm like, um, and you're raging on the current governor. And that's exactly what he said three years ago. And how'd that work out for him? Right. With the exactly. legislature that wasn't about to 20, that money. Stop it. Yeah. 20, Stop it. 20 seconds. We got to go here. Uh, I'd like you to share and follow, share and, and like this show if you can. Share it on Facebook. Like and follow the show page. Uh, but more importantly, make sure you go out to the YouTube channel. And I'm going to post a link here in just a hot second, the YouTube channel. And make sure that you subscribe and ring the bell to make sure you get all the notifications. All right, uh, we are continuing now with State Senator Mike Schauer. Going to dive into this, and uh, we'll keep uh, keep on talking with him here. One final segment. Uh, we just finished talking about the ConCon. Uh, any updates, uh, Mike, on the election integrity bill or anything else that you want to chat about that's coming up that you are concerned about here? Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that. That's probably a pretty good one, actually. Um so, you know, there's my bill that's the big lightning rod for the left. There is uh, Chris Tuck's, Representative Tuck from the House, his bill, kind of a lightning rod for the right, but the right doesn't quite organize and activate like the left does with all the, the groups and things they do. Um, and then there's the governor who's kind of into the game a little late on this one, but dropped a, an election bill. And I say that from the sense of not dropping anything last um last election cycle, a more comprehensive bill. So that's probably unfair to say it that way, but um, he dropped a bill at the beginning of the session too. So there's kind of three primary vehicles out there. Um, there's the governor's and and then mine and Chris Tuck's. And so I think well, either, we have already acknowledged, we've had conversations about it. You know, his bill won't make it through the Senate. My bill's not going to make it through the House. So I've had people in the House, House people like uh, Drummond say, you know, the showers bill's dead on arrival. I'm like, well, that's that's the spirit of cooperation right there. Here, way to go. You know, yeah, that makes me really want to hear House bills, you know, for stuff that you send over from the Democrats. But that being said, um, we're looking at things that 
what can be done that is a step forward that everybody can agree to? Because there are some basic tenets, Mike, that we need desperately. I know more needs to happen, but what I need people to understand is it simply isn't going to because the House will not hear it. I cannot send SB 39 with all the stuff that the right would want that I would like to see because the House won't even move it. They won't even have the first hearing. I already know that. I've already asked. I've been told that. So remember, there's two bodies here. and you got to get it all the way through. Same problem the governor has. He can drop a bill and he dropped it in both bodies. He's got to make it all the way through. Well, same problem, right? So if there are things like ballot chain of custody with all of the absentee and mail-out stuff that I think is critical. We may have agreement on that, which is a big deal, being able to track ballots. It gives you the forensic ability to track them, so you can go back and look if there's issues or, or complaints or things that are happening, but also everybody knows where the ballot is the whole time, right? The state knows where it is is moving it, as does the person that's getting the ballot. There are things like information security stuff we have to do, including, which we've said, I asked the division of the director, uh, the director of the Division of Elections last week on the record in state affairs. I said, okay, you guys discussed, we had at least 113,000 Alaskans data has been stolen. It's floating around on the dark web, plus a lot more from the previous hack of Division of Elections and the, the Health and Human Services or Social Services um, data breach last year. So hundreds of thousands of Alaskans data, what, what are you going to do? Well, uh, nothing. Is there no plan moving forward to cross-check you know, coming up? No. I'm like, okay, Gail, that's not a good answer. So we have a couple ideas, and we're going to, in policy, because you don't have to pass legislation, on how we're going to require the Division of Elections to cross-check all of the people that had their data breached to make sure that they are actually the ones voting, and they did vote, or if they didn't vote, they, we didn't get a vote from them, you know what I'm saying, you know, with that, so... Um, we have to do the information security side, so we're having a lot of information and meetings on that one. Um, ranked choice voting is a disaster coming our way, Mike, and we're going to talk about this in another program. We don't have time today even, but that is – you want to talk about suppressing the vote, brother? Yeah. I'll, I'll give a teaser out here. I said it before, but about 11% on average is the disenfranchisement rate, rate of ranked choice voting, 11%, and it's mostly minorities, the least educated people that have English as a second language, and the senior citizens. Those are the ones that get disenfranchised at the highest rate, and you can imagine because it's complicated, intimidating. It's hard to understand. We had a meeting last week, State Affairs, for an hour and a half. Had the Division of Elections Director again there. So she was briefing us, a Department of Law representative. We had the main Policy for it. Uh, Institute fellow there online with us helping out five senators, some reps in the room, a bunch of people. Hour and a half, Mike. We're still sitting there. Well, that's not how. Well, wait. If you vote this way, but what if you put this in? Is that well? No, that's not. I think that's right. I'm going. And you think <laughs> on election night, people are going to show up at the polls when we're sitting here for an hour and a half, and it's confusing, and they're going to show up and just get it right. Well, uh, we're going to educate them. I'm like, do you hear the paradox of what you just said? The least educated amongst us are the ones that's the most confusing and intimidating to and get disenfranchised at the highest rate, black, brown, native Alaskan, et cetera. And you're saying, we're going to educate them. Do you not understand what that means? Well, that and it I does saw not mean what you think it means. I saw some of the conversation there. And after 90 minutes, the legislators couldn't even articulate back what our ranked choice voting was. I mean, they were they had the division of elections commissioner there explaining it to them, and they were still not clear after 90 minutes exactly what it all meant. Do you think the average Alaskan is going to understand this? That's my point, Mike. So when you look at the 
there's a Princeton professor that did a, a deep dive of about 100 election events, RCV, across the nation, and that average rate was about 11%. It's much higher amongst those minorities. So when you want to talk about something that Alaskans for Better Elections sold us, who Jason Grant, I think, was kind of pushing it, former state you know, House rep, and then uh, Scott Kendall, Governor Walker's former chief staff, Mike, they sold us a lie. Everything was dark money. Oh, dark money. Well, the little dark secret they didn't tell you was with ballot measure two, Scott Kendall, Jason Grant, Alaskans for Better Elections, they exempted themselves from dark money. They can scoop up all the dark money they want from the lower 48 to run ballot initiatives and influence the politics and policy in the state of Alaska. It was about installing ranked choice voting because it is designed to get certain candidates elected into office. And that was the whole thing. This whole thing sold the lie. It's, they're the ones suppressing the vote, Mike. It's, the data shows it clearly. They're going to suppress the vote of minorities in the state, senior citizens, disabled. Holy mackerel, is this a train wreck coming our way? We can talk more. i got tons of data, learning more as I go. But that is a that is a big mess headed our way. So some election reform stuff that we can make it tighter and better um, are things we're working on, like pr- uh, producing the algorithms. Uh, it's policy, not legislation required. I've already validated that on the record. So we can force the algorithm, and we've got a way we're looking at how we're going to implement that to require the algorithm to be published the day before the election from a machine, the day after the election from a machine, so that you can, if anybody can look at it, put it right out there in the web for everybody to see open source. So people can go, okay, we know that's about, okay, no more tweaking it, no more games, no more hiding it. Random, not so they can pick, oh, we're going to do it from this machine. Uh-uh, it's going to be random, brother. I'm not playing that game. And we're going to take a look to get all the de-identified voter data and push it out. So people have an ask and wait and pay money and it's all hit. I'm like, no, if you want people to trust this, it needs to be open source, open and transparent for everybody to see. So these are some of the things we're working on, including like ballot chain of custody, cleaning up the voter rolls, right? I'll tell you right now, I'm really concerned about Eric. It was, oh, we got Eric. Well, guess what Eric does? Eric is forcing us, as I've discovered in the last week and a half, to break federal law, the National Voting Rights Act. The Eric is a private entity that has the director of the Division of Elections sitting on the board, and they make decisions about policy. That one person, not an elected official, an appointed official, sits with the other 30 states, and they make these decisions, we have entered into a contract as a state right. with and this we, private entity, so, and they I mean, require it, us to have certain data, and they won't share certain things, which is a violation of federal law. Okay, so, so, so just I guess a clarification, because people are probably scratching their heads, heads, heads saying, who is Eric? Eric is actually a private entity that's supposed to clean the voter rolls, right? I mean, this is a, Eric is not a person, it's an organization. Um, except they won't give you things like if there's people that are voting illegally or illegals, they they will not let you have that data. They don't give you anything to clean your rolls except like once a year unless you request it. But what they do do, Mike, is they force you to look at every single person that could be eligible to vote every 60 days, and they send that, and they make you go through it. In other words, what it really is, it's not about cleaning the voter rolls at all. It's about registering every single voter they can find anywhere, no matter who they are, illegal, not illegal, age. They're putting out stuff on people before they're 18. It's a voter drive system that started in blue states. So you can start seeing kind of where this one's going and what the intent behind it was. But that's those are the politics side. What I'm concerned about, Mike is that it's forcing us to violate federal law, and we can't yeah. be a part of a system that's doing that. No, and it's not just us. It's like a dozen states now are using the Eric 31 system. 31 states. Or 31 states. Okay, so it's even more than I thought. I guess maybe that was what they started out with was a dozen, and they expanded. But 
I mean, this whole thing is is uh, definitely a hot mess. I do want to clarify something because one of your favorite people in the chat room said, so you're saying that brown people and minorities are dumb? What? I mean, they're uneducated? You're saying the minorities and the uneducated, two separate categories of people, are the I, ones that those are most. Those are not my words. I'm I'm saying I'm summarizing what the report says. Yeah, but so I'm just they saying can that they're playing the stupid games and putting words in people's mouths. Right. Don't be an idiot. No, no. I'm just I'm saying, saying what the report says. Right. It says it, that minorities and the least educated and senior citizens and English as a second language, those people get disenfranchised at the highest rates. Right. When you use ranked choice voting, it's what the report summary says. Right. That's exactly. No, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying is that it wasn't. Minorities are the uneducated. It is minorities and the uneducated and the elderly and people who these are all different slices of the demographic. So anyway, I just people get people are hearing what they want to hear. But that's the problem of what we've got going on here is that people are hearing what they want to hear. One just want to throw a spear, Mike. That's what they do. That's, That's all they can do is throw a spear because they can't get themselves right. you know, to a better place. Just throw spears, right? All right, one minute. Um, Mike Shower, final thought. I don't. Let's talk about bacon. There's nothing we can do in one minute here. We get too fired up. It's <laughs> uh, impossible. Bacon is delicious. Cooked in an air fryer. My daughter made jalapeno, fresh, homemade jalapeno poppers last weekend with bacon. Uh, and then my wife made uh, bacon-wrapped asparagus in the air fryer. It's the best way. It's the best way to uh, eat bacon. So, Mike Shower, thank you so much for coming on, and uh, appreciate you being part of it today. You got it. Folks, we are out of time. We got more coming up tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We will see you then. Make sure that you be kind to one another, love one another, and live well. That's the thing. We will see you tomorrow, my friends. Have a good day. Well, I love the fact that apparently Harold hasn't figured out that if he uses a curse word in his post, it doesn't actually post. I can see it, but it's a hidden post, which I find hysterical. But no, he's not justifying this with a report. He's saying this is what the report is saying. And again, it's different demographics. They're not all the same people. He's not only talking about a person who is a minority, uneducated, an elderly person, and has English as a second language. It's all of those people separately. So, but, yeah, you Mike, know. and I'm not even talking about it. I am trying to get people to understand this report. I just saw this two weeks ago. These things about RCV, we're just learning. We're getting from the main policy institute, from the Princeton study, from others that are reaching out to us now because of the seeing and hearing about the hearings. What I am trying to transmit to people is what we are finding out that is data. I don't know this for myself because we've never done it. I'm saying and passing along what we're learning from other people that have experienced it, have studied it, so that Alaskans are prepared for this train wreck because it's a coming. And it yeah. ain't going to be a good one if we're anything like the rest of the country when they've executed these yeah. things. It does not go well. Yeah, no. Uh, that's the thing. I mean, and I've been warning about a train wreck for years, and eventually it will happen and we'll all look like prophets, but at the same time, it's going to be ugly. How do we learn more about the Eric system? I know there's been several articles about it, including Gateway Pundit had one. Uh, what's the best place to go, do you think, right now to figure out more about the Eric system? 
Uh, Eric, you really just probably have to go online and research it yourself, Mike. Um, like I said, the intent, when you kind of think of the broad thing, you go, well, yeah, that could be okay, you know, some stuff. But the reality is, like I said, at the end of the day, if it's forcing us to break federal law and we have a state, as a state, has entered into a contract with a private ent- entity, we can't do that. That is yeah. bad juju and we need to stop. And we've got the Postal Service. We've got – we have about a dozen ways we highlighted, put on the record last year in State Affairs to cross-check the voter rolls and do the right thing, talk to states and do other stuff. A private entity that basically has a political agenda and they're forcing us to violate the MVRA and some other stuff, not a good idea. I didn't even learn that until two, you know, less than two weeks ago. So, again, we continue to learn things as we go and dive into this, but we've got to do it cleaner, Mike. We've got to do it better, and it's got to all be above board. And there are ways with other entities like government agencies, DMV, the court system, the U.S. Postal Service that are above board, government agencies doing this with a private entity funded by private organizations, probably not a good idea. So one of those things we probably need to, you know, connect that contract and do it better. We need to be open and transparent with the elections. There's just there's a lot going on, brother. Like so we could be talking every week on this for months here. and We will be. I know. But there is a lot happening with just elections between redistricting, rank choice voting, all the stuff that's happening that that alone is is scary before we get into the finances and you know, a constitutional convention. I mean, literally, Mike, we've got like this perfect storm of events we're facing this year. It is is monumental. It is huge. Yeah, no, it is huge. Um, and I think, you know, we, we can't we can't shy away from it at this point. We cannot shy away from it. All right, uh, Mike Shower, thank you so much, my friend, for coming on board. We appreciate it. We look forward to hearing from you uh, here in the, uh, in the near future. So thanks for coming in and joining us. You got it, man. All right, folks, we are out of the time, out of the time. We're out of time. Uh, I will post the article from Gateway Pundit up in the chat room for folks that want to learn more about Eric, the voting system, or the uh, the roll cleaning system. I just posted the link up there. People can go check it out for themselves. And, of course, there's more links there on that article as well. Thanks for coming in. We're out of time. We will see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show